I get the honor actually this morning of opening up a series uh, called Open Heavens. Open Heavens. Can I ask you to do something for me, like right now? Like, how's everybody, can I ask a question first? How's everybody doing this morning? We good? Can I ask you to do something? Literally, lean forward for just a minute. Lean forward. You don't have to stay there. Some of you are like, ah, my back. <laughs> Listen, what I, what I want to I ask you for this morning is that you lean in. Lean in today. Um, this is going to be a message, but you don't have to stay there, by the way. If you're already back, you're good. <laughs> this is going to be a message that is a lot different than most of those that I preach. You know, a lot of times I, I have a, most preachers have what we call like a format where, you know, we, we, we get something from the Lord and then we put it into a format that we preach well right? My format is typically like, I've got like one big idea, and then I've got like three points, and then, you know, and then we, we kind of go into the end there. But uh, I, uh, <laughs> I really felt the Lord wanted me to have no points and just preach at you today. Can I do that? Awesome. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to please write down a place called Rehoboth. A place called Rehoboth. How many of you know that God is everywhere, excuse me, is everywhere, but chooses to be somewhere? I'm going to say it to this side of the room. How many of you guys know that God is everywhere, but he chooses to be somewhere? Maybe I'll just give you an example. How many of you enjoy being in places where you're unwelcome and uninvited? Not many of us. There's like a tension in the room where you know you're the odd person out. There's a feeling that you get that everyone is watching you even when nobody is. Because you recognize, I'm not welcome here. Can I tell you one of the most damaging psychological events of my entire young life? Cool. All right. When I was about 13 years old, I was, uh, I was growing up in Okanagan, Washington, and um, and a couple of good friends of mine lived right down the street from me, and it was in the summertime, and I remember thinking to myself, I am bored out of my mind. And, and most of you know that, like, my dad, <laughs> my dad, wonderful man that he is, I grew up on a Saturday knowing that if I didn't have something to do, he would find something for me to do. And I thought to myself, I don't know that I want to do extra chores today, so maybe I'll just go over to so-and-so's house because I'm bored. And so uninvited... I show up at my friend's house and I knock on the door and I find all of my other friends are already there and it turns out they're having a party that I was not invited to. And I remember sucking it up like, hey guys, how's everybody doing? And there was this awkward moment where everybody kind of looks around and they're like, oh hey man, uh, oh um, you must, oh man, you must not have gotten the invite. Oh, and I was kind of like, you know that, that awkward moment where you show up somewhere, you're not invited, and you're like, do I stay and bear with the awkwardness, or do I leave and have an awkward walk home? And so I was like, I was, like, I was about to go to the door, and, and, and one of my buddies was like, well, man, stick around, dude. And I was like, I just, ah, it's so weird, man. So I walked out the door, and I went home. A couple of days later, I found out my friends were mad at me because even though they didn't invite me, I showed up, and then I left. <laughs> Listen, here's where it's getting spiritual and gets away from the awkward part. 
Listen, because of our comfort level, we have often not invited God to the party. And then we're frustrated when he doesn't show up or when he leaves. The church has a really, sometimes a really bad reputation for saying that we invite God and then getting weird when God shows up. You know, sometimes we, 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 we say this word, open heavens. I need to tell somebody that from the very first moment that Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out his Holy Spirit, from that day to this day, we have been living under an open heaven. What I mean by that is that you right now have all the access that you could ever want to the presence and power and the things of God. There is not one single thing that you could do Oh man, let me put it this way. Sometimes we, we, we in, in, in intercessory language, we say things like knock on the door of heaven. Friend, I got to tell you, the door of heaven is open. You don't have to pound on something that's open. See, many of us, what we're doing is we're pounding on air. We're, we're thinking that God isn't answering, but friend, I have got to tell you that what you're looking for is already available. What you're looking for is already available. Listen to this. This is Mark chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. It says, as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens, listen to this, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. That terminology, torn open, is different than rolled back. See, something that's rolled back is meant to be rolled back over. Something that is torn apart, you have a hard time closing up. When, when, when the heavens were torn open over the person of Jesus at his baptism, I got to tell you, they stayed that way. See, you know, sometimes we talk about how between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, there's like this 400-year span where there wasn't a lot of stuff coming from heaven. How many of you have ever had an awkward moment where you speak to someone you haven't seen in a long time and you kind of sort of like, you kind of try to like awkward your way into it? You're like, hi. Hey, Keanu, haven't seen you in a while, buddy. How's, how's life? We have five years of silence for me to catch up on. Can I tell you that God didn't open up with awkwardness? He opened up with a shout. See, when there was a silence between the last time that God spoke and the next time that he spoke, he didn't just say, hi, Israel, hi, he tore open the heavens and he sent down his own son. And from that day to this day, that shout has been reverberating throughout all of creation. God is not silent. Genesis 28:16 says, "When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord's in this place. Listen to this last part. And I did not know it. See, he, he received this, this, this prophetic picture. He, he, was, he was able to see into the spirit realm. What he saw was he saw a ladder or stairs that had been set up. And he said, he said, I saw on it angels ascending and descending. What he didn't say was, wow, God just showed up this one time. He actually said that God lives here and I just didn't know it. Can I tell you that some of us are not lacking hearing from God or seeing things from God, not because he isn't speaking, because we just don't know it. Yeah. 
We don't recognize that there's an open heaven, and so we're, God, we're, we're constantly asking God, Lord, open the heavens and speak to me. Lord, do this. Lord, do that. Without recognizing, bro, the fridge is already open. All you got to do is go there. It's already full. Man, every college student knows the first thing you do when you get home from mom and dad's house on vacation is you go to the fridge. Because you've been critically ill-fed. But you know what's crazy is I don't ask my dad, even though, even though my relationship with my father changed when I got out of his house, even today, I don't ask my parents, and I'm sorry, maybe this is a deficiency on my part. Uh, Stephen, you help me out here. But like, I don't go to my parents' house and say, hey, mom, can I check in the fridge? No, I just go to the fridge because I know I have access. Friend, come on, man. I got to tell somebody this morning, whatever you're looking for, you've got access. The issue is not lack of access, it's lack of desire. A.W. Tozer said it this way, and I, I didn't want to, I don't want to read the entire, like the entire portion of this, although it's one of my favorite things that he wrote, but at the very end of this, where he talks about the, the, the awareness of the things of God, he says this, he said, he waits to be wanted. He waits to be wanted. But for so many of us, he waits so long in vain. Again, let me ask you the question. How many of you love being around people that don't want you? Now it would feel or seem in the church that this would be an easy, like, like an easy thing to wrap our minds around, but the truth is, I'll be quite honest with you. If we were to go over the story of the American church for the last two or three hundred years, I could tell you that there were absolutely times and seasons where we wanted God, but not really. Where we wanted the gospel, but yeah, kind of not really. And then there were other times where we didn't want him at all. All we wanted was his philosophy. All we wanted was his words. We didn't want his deeds. We wanted him to talk to us. We, wanted, we, we, we didn't want him to do anything for us. Friend, I got to tell you, God didn't change. He didn't change over the last 2,000 years. The same access that Paul had, you've got. The same access that Peter, Peter had, you've got. The same access that every other saint that we look at in Scripture and say, wow, I wish I had that. You've got it, is the thing. Quit telling yourself that you lack access to the things of God. All you lack, all you lack is desire. If you want peace, he's available. If you want healing, he's available. If you want breakthrough, he's available. If you want forgiveness, come on. Somebody in the room this morning has got to let go of your past. You continually tell yourself over and over and over that God can't forgive me because, Pastor Joel, you don't know what I've done. Friend, no, I don't know what you've done. But I know what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has done is so much greater than what you could ever do. You have access to forgiveness. You don't have to live the way that you're living in shame and guilt and burden down. I'm telling you, forgiveness is available. If you want it, he's available. If you want hope, he's available. If you want joy, he's available. If you want freedom, he's available. There's too many Christians walking around with too many chains on their ankles. If you want freedom, he's available. If you want Jesus, 
if you want more of the Lord, if you're tired of feeling like you're going from desperate moment to desperate moment to desperate moment, friend, I'm telling you, if you want Jesus, he's available. Here's the big idea. Listen, I believe that revival is the logical and spiritual end result when the collective hunger of a people or region reaches a critical mass where we chase God with the cry in our hearts, God, give us revival lest we die. I'm going to say that one more time. Revival is the logical and spiritual end result when the collective hunger of a people or region reaches a critical mass where we chase God with the cry in our hearts, God, give us revival lest we die. We are in a critical point right now, not just in our nation, but in the church of Jesus Christ. Well, we can choose one thing or we can choose another. We can choose revival or we can choose death. How are we doing? All right. So reaching a place where our complacency and apathy towards the things of God melts in the furnace of a desperate and holy desire to show Jesus to the nations in his glory. This is why the word of God doesn't tell us to study and see that the Lord is good. It says taste and see that the Lord is good. Listen, I got to tell somebody in the room, I love theology. Like, you, you guys know me. Like, like, most of the time when I get up here and preach, that's what I'm doing. Guys, I did, <laughs> I did an entire sermon just a month or two ago on the hypostatic union. And I thought it was fire, by the way, I'm just saying. The point is, is as much as I love theology, theology doesn't save me. What gripped me to the person of Jesus was not good doctrine. What gripped me was the fact that he showed up and he rescued me. What gripped me is that he showed up and he pulled me out of darkness and put me into his marvelous light. It was that I was blind and I saw. It's that I was lost and I, and I was found. Friend, I got to tell you. I got to tell you. When we say it's, I know a lot of you probably have this same thought. But sometimes when you, when, you, when you try to talk to people about Jesus and that wall comes up, there's this thing in your spirit that you just say, if you could only see him. If you could only see him as I've seen him. If you could only experience him like I've experienced him. If you could only see what I see, this would be an easy yes for you, friend. Luke 16, 16. It says the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed. Listen to this part. And everyone is urgently invited to enter it. In Matthew, this same verse is recorded that the violent take it by force. The reason I used, the reason I used Luke's example is because sometimes we take that, the Matthew example, and we think to ourselves, what does it mean that the kingdom of God suffers violence and that violent people take it by force? Luke actually quantifies what Matthew has already written. How many of you have ever been to like a big release of a movie on opening night? You know, I went to, I, I, I'm a bit of a Star Wars guy, not as much as I used to because they're, you know, kind of shaky now. But when the, uh, when, the, when the prequels came out, I remember going to all three of those on opening night, but I remember specifically 
Uh, number two, the attack of the clones, biggest letdown in Star Wars franchise history. Um, <laughs> but I remember going to the attack of the clones and uh, my buddies and I, like this line, this line started at like 2 a.m. the night before. My friends and I got there at about 10 a.m. and we were about 200 people back in this line. We waited for like 10 hours to watch the attack of the clones. You know, the thing that really bugged me was there was a couple of high school kids that, like, that I knew personally because they were like from my church. And those kids, right as the doors were opening, they jumped to the front of the line and pressed their way through. And I was like, oh boy, your mom's going to hear about this, Boyle. But as upset as I was by that, the truth is I could have done the same thing. That's actually what this verse is talking about. It's talking about doing whatever it takes to obtain the promises of God. Some of us are so passive about the things of God that we're not receiving them because other people are stepping in front of us. If we'd stop being so passive, we'd get our place. At some point in time, your desperation for the things of God has got to overcome your lack of comfort, or excuse me, your comfort zone, and it's got to overcome your apathy to where you actually press in to what God has already given. Yeah, I remember a number of years back, there was a pretty well-known faith healer from South America who came to a conference that I, was, uh, that I was attending. And she said, at this one particular meeting, I was prayed over and there was a prophetic word that was given that I was going to, that I was going to walk in healing miracles. And so I went out and I began to pray for every person that I could. And she said, and for literally 4,000 tries, no one got healed. And then I got a phone call saying that one of my good friends was dying in the hospital. And I went to the hospital and I said, Lord, if you don't heal this person, I don't know that I'll ever be able to pray for somebody again. And she said that was the first time that the Lord healed someone that I laid my hands on. Now, I'm not advocating that particular theology, okay? That we just demand things of God and then he gives them to us. But at the same time, there is a level of desperation that has not been very present within the church that, as A.W. Tozer would say, has led us to our present low estate. You wonder why the church is dying in many places? It's because we're not actually desperate for Jesus anymore. See, the quandary of desperation... It'd be like your kid going to the refrigerator and being desperate even though he knows there's something in there. See, there's, there's this idea somewhere that like, we don't have to be desperate because we already have Jesus. Actually, the paradox is that I'm already full and yet I long to be filled still. The paradox is that I already have Jesus and yet I desperately want more of him. My wife, if I can just make an example out of you, honey, in a good way. My wife, is anybody in here ever feel like there are people in your life that love way better than you do. My wife loves so much better than I do. And there are times where, there are times where her, her desire for me as a person is so high, I, I can't, 
It's hard for me to imagine her having any more of me than she already has. And yet, she loves me so much that she wants everything that I can give her. Part of our problem as the church is we become so content with what we have that we've never pressed through to the things that are actually available that are the more of the Lord. The balance is that we don't go timidly after the things of God. We go boldly after the things of God. Here's where I'm, I'm actually coming into the meat of the message. This is Genesis 26, 17 to 22. Starting in verse 17. So Isaac left there, camped in the Gerar Valley, and lived there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham and that the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. He gave them the same names his father had given them. Then Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a spring of water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Isaac because they argued with him. Then they dug another well and quarreled over that one also. And they called, so he named it Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another. Listen to this. And they did not quarrel over it. He named it Rehoboth and said, For now... The Lord has made space for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. I need you to understand and hear the progression of these names, because each one of them means something. I feel like I'm jumping a little bit ahead of my message, but I want to I remind you that the source of all of these wells was the same. Like, it wasn't like a well of chocolate milk. It wasn't a well of, like, Tropicana and then a well of water. It was the same water. The same thing was being fought over the whole time. First, I want you to hear the name Gerar. So these are the people from Gerar. The definition of that of the name actually means to bray like a donkey, like, ah! I mean, there is no one in the world that has ever heard the sound of a donkey bray and was like, be still my heart. That is an annoying sound. But more than that, it's loud and it's brash. If I may say it a different way that charismatics would understand, it's like the clanging of cymbals and gongs. It's annoying. Call it music if you want, call it opinions if you want, but it's annoying. <laughs> Sorry. All right. To bray, to pound, or to grind, or to crush. In essence, the people of Gerar Valley were named the, the crushers. They were those who crush. I mean, the, the, the word picture here that I, that, I, that I got this morning, as I was like, I oh know this was yesterday, sorry, I was, making a, I was making a dish that had some eggs, and I was cracking sea salt into that particular dish. And I was, in this moment, I had this emotional connection with the sea salt, because I'm like, man, I've been there. I feel like this season I've been, I've been getting crushed. I feel like a little bit, I've been getting ground down. And, and this, is, this is the word that I felt like the Lord gave us, is that we have been through a season where the source is the same, the source is the same, but the opposition has been different. The name of that first well is called contention. And like I said, the, the, the source of all these wells is the same. The point is that the opposition isn't about acquiring something that the enemy didn't possess. It was about acquiring something that the church possessed and that the enemy didn't. Imagine, I, I, like, the craziest thing right here is that this was just at the end of a time of drought and famine. The reason why these people were so 
insistent that they were getting the wells that Isaac and his people were drilling is because every time that they opened one, nothing happened. That every time they drilled a well, all they got was sand. See, we were born to hunger and thirst for the things of God. See, I got to tell somebody, your appetite is not the problem. The way you sate it is. What you're quenching your thirst with is the problem of your soul, and it determines your destiny. I remember, apparently before we knew sugar was bad, you guys remember that time? When it was just like, everybody drank ridiculous amounts of soda. We all knew that, that sugar was fine. Everything, sugar was fine. It's like one moment we woke up and we're like, oh, yeah. Sugar's no longer fine. What happened to me? I remember after basketball practice when I was just like wheezing for water, I would drink a Mountain Dew. See, the thing is, it's just so funny. I watch kids like walk around with Mountain Dews today. I'm like, ah, oh, got heartburn just looking at you. <laughs> the issue is not my thirst, my thirst is natural. The problem was, is that when I'm really, really thirsty or I'm really, really hungry, I go to the most easily accessible thing rather than the best thing. The reason why the crushers were striving for the wells is that when they dug, they weren't getting any water. So rather than going to their own source of fulfillment, their own source of contentment, their own source of wholeness, they had to try to steal it from the people of God. I need somebody to hear this morning that the opposition that is coming against you is not because you're wrong, it's because they're angry that you've got something they don't have. And if they can't have it for themselves, they'll at least take it from you. The second well, Ben, why don't you come up, was a well called Hostility. You know, I feel for these guys, to be really honest, the crushers, I feel for them. Because imagine over and over and over, you keep digging, and you keep digging, and you keep digging, and you keep digging, and you get nothing. And then some guy comes along, and every time that he puts a spade in the ground, he's striking oil. Just a little bit of ways away from your well. That well of hostility is something that we have been, we have been, we've been getting hit with in wave after wave after wave after wave in the past season. And it's because the source of your peace. Now I gotta listen, there's been attack, there's been an attack on your source, not once but many times in this last season. But here's the thing: you know something that your enemy doesn't is that you have a source that doesn't run out. See, the reason why Isaac wasn't fighting over these wells the way that other people were fighting over them was that he knew that his source, his supply, wasn't dependent upon his geography, it was dependent upon God's promise. His whole person, his whole his whole reality was, listen, if you want this well, take the well, it's fine. I'm just going to do a new well right over there, and I'm going to keep striking gold, and keep striking gold, and keep pulling up water, and keep pulling up contentment, and keep pulling up prosperity, because it's not based upon where I live, it's based upon where God lives.
well. And this is what I really heard as I, as I was seeking the Lord, as I was seeking the Lord for you and for me. I believe we're coming into the season of Rehoboth, which means open spaces. We're coming into a place and a time where the, where, where the, the hostility is going out where the assignment against your family is going out, where the assignment against your ministry is going out, where the assignment against your finances is going out, where the enemy has tried to steal your well, and every time you turn around, God's just making a new one. But can I tell you what happened here? What happened here is that the Philistines realized we can't stop these people. Everywhere they go, a new well is dug and there's more water. We can't stop them. We can't stop the blessing. We can't stop the God they serve. Every time that we've tried, they've given us what they had and then they made another one. You know, at some point in time, can I tell you, God is, om- like, God is, God is omnip- omnipresent. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything. And he's omnipotent, which means that he has all power. Can I tell you who doesn't have all power? The enemy. Which means if he doesn't have all power, he eventually wears out. He wears out. Listen, friend, I just hear the Lord saying this clearly over your life. I have worn out the enemy on your behalf. I have worn out his agenda on your behalf because it's really hard to keep up that kind of energy for a long time when the person you know that you're fighting is not God's church but God himself he's gonna wear out because he can't keep up with God he can't keep up can we do something like I said this is gonna be a different Sunday why don't you stand to your feet here's what I'm gonna do and I felt like the Lord gave me specific things to, be, to, to, to declare over your life. I believe that this is a season where we are moving out of hostility and we're moving into openness. We're moving out of strife and we're coming into peace. Listen, the beauty of it is, is that the Lord has sustained us through the strife and he has sustained us through the, 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 all, of the, all of the attacks of the enemy against our life. But I'm telling you, this is a season where you're going to start seeing all the things that you were afraid of, the things that when you woke up, it was like anxiety came on you because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to deal with so-and-so. Oh man, I'm going to have to deal with this. Oh man, I'm going to have to deal with that. God's breaking those things right now. Can we just do this all over this place? Can we lift our hands to the Lord? I'm going to declare some things over your life and your family today. I declare this morning an end of the hostilities against your family. I'm declaring this morning an end to the nagging assaults on your peace. I'm I'm declaring this morning an end to the assignment of the enemy against your health. We are declaring the breaking of the stronghold of depression in our city. We're declaring the casting down of the spirit of suicide over our region. We're declaring the destruction of the spirit of addiction over our towns. We're declaring an end to the assignment of the enemy against your marriage. I'm going to say that one again. We're declaring an end to the assignment of the enemy against your marriage. We're declaring an end to the agenda of hell against your children. We're declaring an end to political division within the church. 
We're declaring that the kingdom of God will increase in our region as we have never seen before. We are declaring that Jesus Christ will be seen clearly so that all will be without excuse. We are declaring that this will be a season of signs and wonders and miracles unlike any we have ever seen. And we declare, come on church, that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Listen, here's what we're going to do. This altar call is going to be really, really, like, very, very simple. If you want more of the Lord, he's available. He's right here. If you want more of the Lord, he's available. All I'm asking you to do, come forward a bit. Step out of your comfort zone. Listen, I want to tell you something very, very true. That the Holy Spirit up here is no more powerful than back there. But I've got to tell you something else, too, that is also true. Sometimes... We have to step out of our own comfort zone and stop asking God to meet us where we are and instead say, God, I want to meet you where you are. I want to come out from where I am and I want to let you do what you do where you are. So come on, all over this place, all over this place, God, we thank you this morning. We want more of you today. God, we make room for you in this place. We make room for you in this place. Do whatever you want to do.